0: study the Bible class through Immersion Discipleship School. This is session five, called Interpreting the Bible. Now last session we talked about observing the Bible because we're using the inductive Bible study method, which goes like this, essentially, observe, interpret, and apply. That's the methodology we will be using, so these three weeks will be focused on that, and this specific session is focused on interpretation. Now, interpretation means to provide the meaning of something to another, or simply it means to translate. If you've ever been in another culture with another language that's not the same language that you have, you know what translation is like. You say something and it needs to be translated in order for others to hear or understand what you are meaning. And I've done this with my books, I've done this with my preaching and teaching in other nations and other cultures, and I know what it looks like and what it, what it, the whole process of translation actually looks like, and you probably are familiar with that. Well, interpretation, essentially what we're trying to do is take an ancient book and transla- from a different culture, from a different background, a different history, a different time, and translate that into the time in which we're living. And so interpretation matters a ton. I, uh, I can remember when I had a job at a specific company many years ago, I walked into my boss's office one morning And we were talking about, uh, you know, basically marriage and divorce. And she brought up this, you know, scenario about divorce. And she said all of a sudden to me, well, what do you think that the Bible says about divorce? And I basically just shared with her the couple passages that are very clear on marriage and divorce and remarriage. And she said to me, well, that's your interpretation and that can be looked at in many different ways, but that's just the way that you look at it. And I remember sitting in her office tempted to say a lot more than I did say, because we just had a little bit of dialogue at that time. She really wasn't looking for me to give a biblical understanding of marriage and divorce and remarriage. She just kind of wanted me to say something that was affirming to what she had already thought. And when I didn't do that, she said to me, well, that was my interpretation. And you'll notice in our culture, that's kind of what we do. We basically say that the Bible has many interpretations. And I want to tell you very clearly that the Bible doesn't have many interpretations. The Bible has one interpretation and many applications. But the issue of interpretation has truly caused division, um, different doctrinal statements, different uh, denominations. Obviously, we have a lot of division in the body of Christ. And I would say that it's based on This issue of interpretation. So it's fair to say that this is a very serious thing, but we need to kind of come back to the place where we see the Bible has one interpretation. I don't believe that God meant for us to interpret it how we want to. And so we've got to really be the kind of people, like we studied last session, that are the the Berean mindset, where we study to see what the truth is. We want to study these things to see that they are so. Not come to the interpretation that we want, not come to the interpretation that feels right, but come to the interpretation that God intended. And Scripture interprets interprets Scripture. Scripture is the place in which we go to get God's mindset, to understand God's heart, and ultimately, when we understand the interpretation of Scripture, we can have the right application in our times. And Scripture always means what Scripture has always meant. This is what we're looking for, especially as we come to this session. So the crux of this, of this really uh, inductive Bible study method really is this session because we want to find out what the author originally meant to the readers that would receive the message that they were intending it to go for. And I've said this to you before, that Scripture... Um, is not written to you, but it is written for you. Paul said that scripture was written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. So originally there's a writer and there's a reader and we are outside of that time frame and what we're trying to do is understand who wrote it. We're trying to understand who they wrote it to and what what they meant when they wrote it. And as we do understand that, then we can extrapolate the principles The truths in order to apply them in our 21st century so we want to look at this very very uh, carefully but i want to share with you a passage from acts chapter 26 which which i think will illuminate what it is that we're going after in this discussion on interpretation in verse 26 acts chapter 8 it says this now an angel of the lord said to philip go south to the road the desert road that goes down from jerusalem to gaza So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And verse 29 says, the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet And Philip said, do you understand what you are reading? You should highlight that part of the verse. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me, unless somebody helps me to understand it, unless somebody translates its meaning for for my understanding. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As we we read this passage, Philip asked the man, do you understand what you are reading? And the man said, how can I? unless someone explains it to me. So Philip began to share with them about Jesus, starting with the very verse that he had been reading. And it wasn't long after this, that as Philip began to share more and more and more scripture from that very point, that the Ethiopian eunuch, as they come across this, this place where there's some water, he said, what, what stops me from getting baptized? So Philip ends up baptizing the guy because he believed upon Jesus as a result of this. Now, to, to help us with this issue of interpretation, this is a great example in Scripture of where somebody's reading something that's from a, a place of history. It has a context to it. It has a writer. It has a reader. And here he is reading it as he's just going about his day. And somebody else had to come up and basically translate it for him because when he asked him, do you know what you're reading or do you understand it? He said, how can I? I, I, I need somebody to help me. And this is what we're looking at. We actually need uh, t- scripture to be interpreted. We observe it, but then we want to interpret it so we can understand it. When we understand it, we can apply it. And this verse really shows us that very well. There's a couple things that I want us to look at when we're uh, studying this out in terms of interpretation. And the first point I want to look at together is we need to look at the Bible in at, at its context. We need to look at the context. We cannot understand the meaning of any portion of or passage of scripture without knowing its context for which it's embedded in. And we touched on this when we looked at observation because I would tell you things that questions that you need to ask as you're looking at the text, but the questions ultimately lead us to the understanding of how it is that we go about interpreting. And so context is very, very important and observation leads us to that, but we get a little bit more critical in this issue of interpretation. So we're gonna drill down on it even more. The context of any passage is that which goes before and that which goes after. And I want to mention there are two kinds of context. The first is what we would call immediate context. So when you're reading a passage of Scripture, there's immediate context. It's embedded within that passage or right around it, surrounding that passage. Maybe just a few verses before and a few verses after. Maybe that chapter would be considered immediate context. So that's the first kind of context. The second kind of context is what we call remote context. Now this would be like chapters before it, or maybe even an entire book. If you're gonna be reading like the book of Hebrews, for example, you're gonna see how the chapters before and the chapters after help you understand the chapter you're reading. It's not just embedded into that one chapter. There's a whole lot more that you need to understand to find the richness of interpretation in the passages that you're studying. And we need to know this. Sometimes when you're reading like apocalyptic literature, you have to go back to Daniel. If you're gonna read Revelation, there's some things that you need to know in Daniel and other places. If you're gonna be reading the gospels and Jesus refers to the book of Deuteronomy, there's quotations specifically, you're gonna wanna go back to that context. If you're reading the book of Acts and you find that there's a Psalm that's quoted, Psalm chapter two is quoted once or twice, you're gonna wanna go back and read Psalm chapter two to see the context For which they're sharing it and the context for which they're referring to as well that would be remote context that's not just right there but it's it's actually even greater so two kinds of context and i want to look at hebrews chapter 12 just to kind of expand on this concept a little bit more i'll read in verse 1 through 3 hebrews chapter 12 it says this therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Verse 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary in losing heart. Now, the immediate context is found within these verses, which is basically about a race of faith that is to be run with proper endurance. It's not hard to come to some conclusions with immediate context, depending on the passage. But the remote context is found in the previous chapter and even prior to that, where the writer provides a list of patriarchs of the faith who believed what God had said and they had persevered. He refers to this cloud of witnesses. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Well, how would we even know what he meant unless we read the chapter before? Because the chapter before is sometimes considered the hall of faith, where there's many, many who had gone before those who are reading this letter men of faith who had believed God. God spoke to them, they believed God in time and history, and many of them saw great results as a result of placing their faith in God's Word. And so those are the great cloud of witnesses. Essentially, here's this cloud of witnesses that are witnessing what the believers during the time of the reader and the writer of Hebrews 12 are going through. And he's saying, consider those who have gone before us, Well, we know those who have gone before us are actually written out in Hebrews chapter 11, but you wouldn't know that unless you had read it, so that's remote context. And you can go even further in remote context because the preceding chapters are basically where the writer is encouraging Jewish believers who are kind of waning in their convictions and in their faith. They had moved on from animal sacrifices and other practices of Judaism, And they had believed Christ, that he was the once and for all sacrifice, paid a price for all of our sins, and it's through him that we are forgiven because of the atonement and his great mercy. And some of those who had once believed in Christ are now going back to Judaism and the practices of Judaism that Jesus had fulfilled. And he's encouraging them in Hebrews chapter 10 and even before that to continue in their conviction that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He is the once and for all sacrifice and that we do not need to go backwards. We just need to continue with Christ moving forward. But once again, the immediate context doesn't give us this, and therefore we can't come to the right interpretation unless we were to read previous chapters and understand previous concepts. If you were to do a, a even more large study on this, you could look at Romans where Paul basically breaks out a little bit more theology, not only in animal sacrifices, but how Jesus has satisfied the demands of the requirements of the law. And you could bring in other places from scripture to enrich your study and your interpretation of what is meant here from the writer of Hebrews. My whole point in bringing Hebrews chapter 12 up is just to show you that it's, it's definitely important to understand context, immediate context and remote context in order to come to the right interpretation uh, from passages that we're reading. So context provides interpretation and we need to be careful that we're looking at what's behind the verses that we're reading. There's a second point that I wanna make that is just as important and that is we need to look at the background. So we need to look at the context and we need to look at the background. Now, when we talk about background, we're referring to history, culture, and customs. Uh, have you ever walked into uh, your you were walked into a friend's house, or maybe you've just come home from work or school, and as you walk into your house or somebody else's house, and they're watching a movie or a television show, and it's about halfway in, and you walk in and you sit down on the couch and uh, you realize that you are lost. I mean, you have no idea what is going on in the movie or the television show. You don't know who's who, who the characters are, why they're saying what they're saying. The meaning is lost on you. And so as you're watching about halfway through and even further, this doesn't, none of this adds up for you. And if you're somebody that's been watching the whole thing and you have somebody that sits down halfway through a movie and they start asking all these questions, who is that? Why are they saying that? What does that mean? It's one of the most annoying things in the world. Well, what's happening in that circumstance is that you are missing the background. You don't know what's going on. You don't know who these people are. You don't know why they're saying what they're saying or doing what they're doing. And scripture is a lot like sitting down halfway through a movie. Sometimes you can read a passage that's in the middle of a context and a background that you're just not familiar with, you're not aware of. And if you, for, in order for you to interpret rightly, in order for you to understand accurately, you actually do need to grasp the background. It's important for us to do that. Now, Scripture uh, um, can be a lot like this because we, I live in, you know, 21st century. I live in Western society. I live in the United States of America. But Scripture is embedded into Middle Eastern culture or you have uh, society was mostly agrarian. It was very simple. People made their own clothes. They had no real transportation. Most of them didn't have any kind of transportation like horses and donkeys. And so they walked pretty much everywhere that they went. And could you imagine a lot of people had to walk sometimes a half a mile or a mile. They had to walk to a well to get their water. We just, most of us walk to our faucet and, and turn it on and we have cold water or hot water immediately. And this was not the culture that they lived in. And it's important that we get into the background of where these the settings and the, these places were and what that was like for people. It really helps us to place these passages and understand the importance and the emphasis that is being placed on sometimes things that can be lost on us because we don't have the whole story. Background is vital. Background is so important. And they can actually, the background can change the meaning if we're not careful to understand it. And so we definitely want to look into these things. Now, it's important for us to know that there's internal evidence and external evidence. When you're looking at the background, Scripture doesn't always give us the clearest understanding of why things are the way that they are. Can you imagine you have a a writer and a reader and they didn't feel that it was necessary to explain some of the stuff that we don't understand so many years removed. And so what you have here is you have internal evidence that helps us to understand the who and the what, where, when and the why. But you also have external evidence as well. And that's where our Bible study helps make a difference. We talked about in session three Not only translations, but Bible study helps, like a study Bible, a concordance, a Bible study uh, or a Bible dictionary, and commentaries. And external evidence is where we would actually take up some of these commentaries, a Bible study dictionary, to help us understand what we don't understand, to give us a context and a background. There's a passage that I think provides a good example of background and ancient customs. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 through 22, it says this, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That's kind of an interesting verse there. Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. At face value, uh, verse 21 doesn't really make much, uh, doesn't really make much sense why Jesus would say this to him. But when he says to him in verse 22, let the dead bury their own dead, because the man said, I want to go bury my father. We might look at that and go well, what in the world why would jesus have a problem with this man going to bury his dad and then come and follow him it seems reasonable to me it seems reasonable to us but most likely the background would help us to understand in their culture it was a culture of honor it was a culture of a culture of familial honor in other words if you're a firstborn son it is your responsibility for you to bury your father. Not that his father was dead, but it was a responsibility of a son, of a firstborn son, uh, more specifically, to be there for the burial process. Not only that, but also to take on the responsibility of the family at that time, or the inheritance, of course, and then to distribute or to do with that what he felt was right and necessary. But it was his responsibility. That's a culture of family. That's a culture of honor. And that was the way that they did things. And so this man, in asking this question of Jesus, was basically just functioning within his typical customs and traditions, the way that they would do life. He wasn't necessarily tr- trying to divert the whole invitation of Jesus and saying, come follow me. He was essentially following his customs, following his tradition. But if we don't know that that's a custom and a tradition, in a, in a culture of honor and a culture of family, we'll have no idea why that interaction even happened. In fact, it, 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 it makes us look at the man in a way that we often shouldn't. And so we wanna think about these kinds of verses and ask the question, what's the background behind this verse? Why would this man ask this question? Why would Jesus make this statement? When something doesn't make sense like that, it's usually because we're missing something in terms of culture, customs, and background. And we can, we can understand that uh, as, as we continue to read more and more scripture. Now, I would encourage you to ask a lot of questions, okay? When, when we're trying to come to interpretation of scripture, what scripture means, what was the intention of the writer? What was the understanding of the reader? When we're trying to come to this place of really understanding what it means, we have to take steps back often and ask those kinds of questions that get us to the place where we can confidently we can confidently assert this is what this passage means we don't want to be in a place where there's multiple interpretations and sometimes it takes a lot of study and that's why studying the bible is so important because it does take time and it does take energy and effort in order for us to come to a place where we confidently understand the bible and can assert The truth of it, not just for our own lives, but also for those that we influence. We want to be people of noble character and and willingness, eagerness, really, to receive uh, what the Scripture means. Now, I want to encourage you uh, to do this together. You'll notice, if it doesn't say this on your notes, I want to encourage you to use Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22, Again, if it doesn't say that on your notes, you can write that down right now. And I want you to use this set of verses to basically look at the context, and I want you to also look at the background. I think this would be a great passage of Scripture to do that with. And you'll find that looking at the context and looking at the background is fundamentally important as you read through this. Now, I'm just going to do this uh, really quickly with you, and just make some comments. And then I obviously, beyond this session, I want you to look at it even further. But let me read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22 to you really quickly, and here's what it says. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. That's a verse you want to underline. Verse 16, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building who is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, as we look at this and try to frame it up for study, the first thing you'll see, I I believe, in verse uh, 14 and really even further, what's the theme of this passage? Well, I wrote down the theme is unity. So I'm just going to go through some of this with you as we do it together. Some of the questions is like, what is said about the theme? How did I come to that? Uh, How did I come to that word as as the theme? Verse 14 says he made both groups into one and broken down the dividing walls. So here we have unity. Verse 15, he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of two. Once again, I see unity. Verse 16, one body through the cross. It's just oneness, 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 two coming together. And here is this call from Paul really talking about unity. There's this connective tissue, these verses, verse 17 and 18, he talks about we can have peace. Those who were far can now be near. We have access to the Father by the same Spirit. So there's this connectivity in verse 17 and 18 where he's giving some understanding that those who felt far can be near. Those who were Gentiles can also be near as God's holy people always have been able to be. Now in verse 20 and 21, we see in him the whole structure is joined together, grows into a holy temple built together spiritually. And this is important, I think, when we look at this once again, once again, as the two come together, they're no longer two, but they are one. So you have unity, unity, unity all over the place. Now the context in verse 11, we see that Paul is most likely talking to Gentiles. So Paul's writing, Gentiles are reading, And there's this sense in them that they're not Israel, they're not Jewish, they're not of Jewish descent. So where does that leave them? If they're not Jewish and they are Gentiles, is there a difference? What is God doing with the two different people groups? And Paul's saying, what God is doing is he's bringing the two together in Christ. So there's some context there of who he's talking to. What does this imply? The Gentiles might be having a hard time with their identity and where they fit into this picture, as I said. The common denominator is Christ and what he's done on the cross. And here's the meaning to the original reader. This is what I came up with with some of this conversation that I've just been sharing. The Gentiles need to keep their perspective that there are no longer two groups, but one group going after the same goal. And they need to pull together with their fellow Christians and love one another so they can be an example to those around them and bring more people to Christ. In the spirit of unity with the bond of peace, Those who are Gentiles, as Paul's talking to them, they need to realize that they are one family in Christ, that it's no longer just Jew and Gentile, but through Jesus Christ, it's one family that God has pulled together. He's broken down the dividing wall. And this is where Gentiles, in this context, fit into this picture, that unity now becomes a message. Reconciliation now becomes a message and an important message so that the two can be one and that they can be an example to the people that are around them and bring more people to Christ. So you have the writer and the reader, and you have some original meaning. Now what then, as we're going to look at next session, is how can we take that message from the writer and the reader and the understanding and the interpretation of it, how can we then take that out of that context, the principles of that context, and extrapolate them so that we can apply those principles for us today? We're going to look at that in the next session, because that really is the important piece, because we want to live out God's Word in our lives. We want to observe it, we want to understand it, and then we want to live in it. And we will do that next week. But this is just to help us come to the place of interpretation, because without the right interpretation, we will never have the right application. And we'll talk more about that in the next session. But let me pray for you guys, and please do continue to look at this verse or other passages together as we've discussed looking at context and looking at background, but let me pray. Father, I thank you for everyone that's participating in this class. We thank you, Lord, that you're teaching us how to not only love your word, but understand your word and how to live out your word. And I just pray for everybody that's taking this class, myself right now, Lord, would you help us to understand your word? Would you lead us to the right questions? Would you lead us to the right information? Would you help us to sift through all of the things that we read in order to come to the right interpretation that we would be, that we would really have this heart to say, I want to know the exact truth. I want to know what truth is so that I can live in it. I thank you, Lord, for a a new hunger for your word and to really lay aside our agenda and our biasms, even maybe things that we've been taught so that we could freshly come to your word and find its proper meaning. I pray that you would bless each person that's a part of this class to go deeper and to go deeper in your word. And we thank you for the call to know you, to know your word and to become more like you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I look forward to our next class together.